This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. News Talk 850 WFTL presents Joyce Kaufman, No Restraint. Here's Joyce Kaufman. Joyce Kaufman here with the No Restraint Podcast, and I'm just back from my travel. That's right. I travel to Los Angeles, where, of course, I have grandchildren, which is the only reason that anyone should ever go to Los Angeles. Although, even I have to admit, it was not quite as bad as it's been in the past. That is, if you could excuse the fact that a psychotic homeless woman set up camp right in the driveway so that every time we opened up the gate to drive the car out to take the kids to school or to go to the supermarket, we had to displace the unhoused person and ask her to move. She was very polite, though, even in her psychosis because she would then go out and direct traffic away so that we would have an easy exit. You can't make this stuff up, nor would I want to. This was also one of those times where I really had to wonder if there wasn't something just a little bit off-putting about the fact that my husband was manually searched both times, going to L.A. and coming back from L.A. And I'm not just talking about a moderately to heavy pat-down. I'm talking about the second guy on our way back from Los Angeles really should have bought my husband dinner after that. But of course, it's Los Angeles, and he might have very well been a uh, transgendered, non-binary uh, cuckoo who was doing the pat-down because it seemed to go way too long and way too far. But what can I tell you? Then I get my suitcase in Fort Lauderdale. It's now 7.30 in the morning because we took a red eye, and I get this, uh, well, it was sealed tight with some special plastic ceiling. And a notice inside said that the Transportation Security Administration has a notice of baggage inspection to protect you and your fellow passengers. The TSA is required by law to inspect all checked baggage. As part of this process, some bags are opened and physically inspected. Your bag was among those selected for physical inspection. During the inspection, your bag and its contents may have been searched for prohibited items. At the completion of the inspection, the contents were returned to your bag. If the TSA security officer was unable to open your bag for inspection because it was locked, the officer may have been forced to break the locks on your bag. TSA sincerely regrets having to do this. However, TSA is not liable for damage to your locks resulting from this necessary security precaution. For packing tips and suggestions on how to secure your baggage during your next trip, please visit tsa.gov. We appreciate your understanding and cooperation. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to contact the TSA. Well, 
I'm not going to contact the TSA. They did go through the belongings of our joint suitcase. We both traveled in one suitcase. And the only thing I seem to have come up missing is a small photograph that I took with one of these automatic cameras that kids have of my granddaughter and uh, her other grandfather who was visiting with us for a Memorial Day picnic and birthday party, and also a baggie, uh, you know, a Ziploc baggie, which contained some white powder. Now calm down. The white powder was my probiotic, which I stir into my coffee every morning. Now normally it comes in a container, but the container was very large, and I decided to save some space, I would put the white powder in a Ziploc envelope, clearly wrote on the outside, probiotic formula, mix well with beverage, first thing in the morning. Well, apparently they weren't quite sure about that. They took it out, and I don't know if uh, somebody in the TSA is snorting it currently. If they are, they'll have, uh, you know, uh, very regular uh, BMs because it's a probiotic. That's all I can tell them. But that was my, our experience. It wasn't horrible, but it certainly, things sure have changed. You know, you can cross the border and you can be a terrorist. You can come from any part of the world and nobody's going to check you. But if you're an American citizen who flies frequently from one coast to the other, I mean, that's obvious. It can come up on any of the routines that they put you through you're going to be humiliated and searched. Now, interestingly enough, I have multiple metal parts. I have two metal hips or titanium hips. I have a titanium knee. I have titanium plates in my jaw. And I don't ever seem to be setting off the TSA alarm. Very occasionally, I'll set off the alarm, but not this trip, not in either direction. But my poor husband had to be manhandled by some TSA guy. Oh, well, such is the travel. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now, what was interesting is when I was out there in LA, I was noticing that first and foremost, you know, and this is just a little bragging, my granddaughter, who is seven years old, reads at a eighth grade level. I think that's pretty astonishing. And she is a voracious reader. She's always got a book in her hand. She has to be told you cannot read at the table while we're eating, and you can't zone out and read while I'm talking to you. But it's pretty impressive, and I must admit I am very proud of Nixon. Great name, great kid. Um, 
went to school, had a lot of activities. We had a lot of fun with her. Her little brother, Carter, who's going to be four in a couple of weeks, had an interesting desire every night when I went in to read him some stories. He really likes me to read him stories about Jewish holidays. Now, I didn't even know there were this many books about Jewish holidays, but my grandson has a book about Shavuot, about Shabbat, about uh, uh, you name it, Passover, uh, Hanukkah. He's got books about every holiday and books about Passover lambs, all kinds of books, all kinds of books about Jewish holidays. And not the easiest things to read because a lot of the words are hard to pronounce. And he has trouble pronouncing words anyway. He speaks like Elmer Fudd, which I think is adorable. His father did as well. But uh, that'll clear up soon enough. But I was reading a number of these Jewish stories, and I know that my son and daughter-in-law are trying to expose their kids to all kinds of spiritual things with nothing in particular, which I think is a bad choice, but not my business, right? I just go out there and smile, and I say grace, and I do the things that matter to me, and my grandkids can see that. But, um, you know, my children grew up knowing both Christianity and Judaism. And these two kids are growing up in L.A. knowing very little about Christianity and all about Judaism, even though neither one of their parents believes in God. Just saying. You can't make it up. I guess they're ethnic Jews. My kids in in San Francisco are growing up as Christians, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. I was in L.A. this time. San Francisco, we go at the end of August. Anyway, I was thinking about all this, and I was thinking about the level of Jew hatred that's out there. I mean, it really is stunning. And I'm ever more disgusted by the things that I see. Melanie Phillips had written a piece on Roger Waters. Now, people think I am, you know, just strange because I do not listen to Pink Floyd. I can't stand Pink Floyd. Not that I didn't once upon a time think the music was good, but he is such a virulent anti-Semite that I simply cannot listen to him. Melody Phillips had said that the unspeakable performance by Roger Waters in Berlin last week, Berlin, by the way, is where my daughter and her husband will be going at the end of August when I'm watching those kids. The former Pink Floyd guitarist has long been infamous for his venomous attacks on Israel and anti-Semitic remarks. Few, though, could ever have imagined that he would be allowed to stage the obscene performance he put on at Berlin's Mercedes-Benz Arena. As described on the German website Bell Tower, Waters displayed the names of people supposedly killed because of their identity. In an odious comparison, Anne Frank, who was indeed murdered, was displayed as equivalent to Shireen Abu Akla, the Al Jazeera journalist who was shot dead while covering clashes between Israeli troops and Palestinian gunmen in Jenin. Dressed in a Wafflin SS uniform under fascist-style banners hanging from the roof, Waters pretended to fire on the audience with a dummy rifle. When he exchanged this for a keffiyeh in an unsubtle reference to Israel and the Palestinian Arabs, the giant LED screen flashed up F bombing people in their homes. F the occupation. You can't have occupation and human rights. 
In a speech bubble displayed on that screen, a fragment of dialogue channeled Jewish conspiracy theory by suggesting that the world was controlled by a cabal of wealthy individuals who were secretly pulling all the strings. This diabolical spectacle of Jew hatred received a standing ovation from the audience, and this happened in Berlin the very epicenter of the show. Many who visit Berlin speak about the impressive or moving Holocaust memorial there. The fact that Waters could nevertheless stage this obscenity in that very city shows how thinking has become badly skewed. There is now an unprecedented amount of Holocaust memorializing and education in the West. Yet the Shoah is nevertheless routinely misappropriated, trivialized, and demeaned. Words like Nazi and fascism and Holocaust are now used to describe a dizzying range of presumed social ills. Meanwhile, verbal and physical attacks on Jews are becoming ever more frequent and brazen. Holocaust memorializing has itself played an unwitting part. The demonization of the Jews is, of course, the never-ending hatred, as is the corresponding impulse to deny Jewish suffering. At the core of the form it takes today lies moral relativism, the replacement of objective truth by personal opinion. Relativism means no one's values or status can be higher or lower than anyone else's. There can be no hierarchy of suffering, so Jews can never be allowed to make the justifiable claim that the Jewish people are unique or that anti-Semitism is unique or that the Nazi genocide of the Jews was unique. Of course, this so-called equal status merely produces an inverted hierarchy in which good and bad, truth and lies, victim and victimizer are reversed. That's one reason why, in the minds of progressives for whom relativism is a kind of faith, Israel is an oppressor and its Palestinian attackers are its victims. That's why such progressives can't acknowledge that the fate of Israeli victims of Palestinian terrorism is in a different moral universe from the fate of the Palestinians. That's why CNN's chief international anchor, Christiana Amanpour, misrepresented the point-blank murder of Lucy D. and her daughters by Palestinian terrorists in the disputed territories of Judea and Samaria as a shootout, and why Amanpour's belated and lame attempt at an apology altering shootout to the scarcely less distorted shooting merely compounded the offense. It's why Waters so disgustingly equated Anne Frank with Shireen Abu Akla, who was not killed because she was a Palestinian-American, but because she had put herself in harm's way by standing in the middle of a firefight. And unfortunately, this most immoral equivalence has now become embedded into much Holocaust education and memorializing, which equate the genocide of the Jews with other genocides. In his book, The End of the Holocaust, Alvin Rosenfeld observed that the Anne Frank story has been reframed to articulate the need to overcome racism and homophobia, prevent mass murder, and promote tolerance and kindness. Jews like Anne Frank, however, were wiped out not because of a lack of tolerance or kindness or through prejudice, but because of a derangement beyond comprehension directed at the Jewish people. In Mosaic in 2016, Edward Rothstein wrote that Holocaust museums flinched 
from emphasizing the uniqueness of Jewish suffering. No such museum, he observed, could seemingly be complete without invoking other 20th century genocides in Rwanda, Darfur, or Cambodia. If we were all guilty, though, then no one is guilty. More balefully still, if everyone can be a Nazi, so too can the Jews. Holocaust universalism has thus led directly to the demonization of Israel by people claiming to be anti-racist. In Britain, this is one reason why there have been strenuous objections to the Holocaust Memorial and Education Center that the government wants to construct in a small park next to the Houses of Parliament. The project has been derailed by the late discovery of a planning law that forbids any such construction in this park, a law that the government is determined to overturn. Aside from environmental objections, significant concerns have long been expressed that the message to be delivered by this center will relativize and thus devalue the Holocaust. These objections have been brushed aside by the government and the project's backers in the Jewish community leadership. However, the government itself has now given the game away by acknowledging that the main purpose of this center is not to commemorate the genocide of the Jews. As Housing Minister Baroness Scott disclosed earlier this month, its aim is to ensure that the story of what happened in the Holocaust resonates with the public. And how will it do that? By denying the unique nature of the Jewish genocide. The content will also address genocides in Cambodia, Rwanda, Bosnia, and Darfur, she said. This drew a furious response from one of the leading opponents of the project, Baroness Dietsch, who said it would demote the Shoah. Dietsch, who is Jewish and whose late father, historian Joseph Frankel, fled the Nazis, said it would prompt generalities about hate and intolerance and would drain the presentation of the Shoah from its anti-Semitic origins dating back thousands of years. She went on, they're going to put forward the message that if you see something bad going on, you must not be a bystander. If it's just don't be a bystander, I don't see how that helps people understand anti-Semitism and the plight of the Jews. Dietsch was backed by Gary Mond, chairman of the National Jewish Assembly, who said the main concern <laughs> is that there be no dilution of the principle that the Holocaust was totally unique and incomparable. But that message will be utterly diluted by this proposed memorial. The government's being egged on by Jewish community leaders who refuse to get the point. Instead, they have bullied objectors to the project and vilified them as anti-Semites, despite the fact that a number of them are Jews. These leaders are thus weaponizing anti-Semitism to drive through a project that will instrumentalize anti-Semitism in order to deliver a message that will betray the memory of Jews murdered in the Shoah by diminishing their unique fate. Universalizing the Holocaust has happened for two reasons. The non-Jewish world wants to share the protected moral status of being victims of the greatest crime in history by claiming other evils are just as bad. Diaspora Jews, desperate not to be viewed as different, are terrified of asserting Jewish uniqueness even over this. Meanwhile, a depraved anti-Semite, someone like Roger Waters, can strut the stage in Berlin.
It's disgusting and needs to be called out. And JNS video recirculated over the weekend on social media of someone by the name of Fatima Mohammed, an elected student speaker at City University of New York School of Law's commencement ceremonies, attacking Israel from the dais on May 12th. In this moment of celebrating who we are, I want to celebrate Cooney Law as one of the few, if not the only law school, to make a public statement of defending the right of its students to organize and speak out against Israeli settler colonialism, Mohammed said in her remarks. A recording of her 12-minute talk, which variously referred to law as a manifestation of white supremacy and to the facade of legal neutrality, initially appeared on CUNY's YouTube account, but the university then removed it. That this is the law school that passed and endorsed BDS on a student and faculty level, recognizing that absent a critical imperialism settler colonialism lens, our work and the school's mission statement is void of value, Mohammed said. As Israel continues to indiscriminately rain bullets and bombs on worshippers, murdering the old, the young, attacking even funerals and graveyards, this is what she said, as it encourages lynch mobs to target Palestinian homes and businesses, as it imprisons its children, as it continues its project of settler colonialism, expelling Palestinians from from their homes, carrying the ongoing Nakba, that our silence is no longer acceptable, she added. Senator Ted Cruz from Texas was among many to condemn the talk as anti-Semitic. City University of New York class day speaker slanders Israel and enthusiastically celebrates anti-Semitism, cheers on open borders and releasing violent criminals from jail and decries the fascist NYPD, the senator tweeted. This is a law school paid for with tax dollars. Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, also responded to Muhammad's talk. I was proud to offer a different message at this year's Cooney Law commencement ceremony, one that celebrates the progress of our city and country, and one that honors those who fight to keep us safe and protect our freedoms, like my uncle Joe, who died at age 19 in Vietnam while giving his life for our country, he tweeted. We cannot allow words of negativity and divisiveness to be the only ones our students hear. Michael Kotler Wunsch, a former Knesset member, called the talk, which received a standing ovation, Orwellian, and an issue not just for Jews, but for democracy. CUNY has faced recent criticism of anti-Semitic behavior. On April 6th, New York Post-Op Ed referred to it as America's most anti-Semitic university. This is amazing because this is actually a school that I went to. But it has changed so much. First, they'll come for the Jews. And then before you know it, they're coming for everybody else. And I've seen this happen throughout history, and so have many others. But... Uh, this most recent two stories, one about Roger Waters of Pink Floyd uh, parading around as if he were some kind of Nazi on a stage in Berlin, of all places, really upsets me, not to mention my uh, 
part-time alma mater, the City University of New York. I went to Brooklyn College before I finished at the State University of New York at New Paltz. But it just grieves me. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that there's no ignoring. It's just going to get worse. And it's particularly going to get worse because we tolerate this. You have Palestinian programs that literally pay for slay. I mean, forget about pay-to-play programs. We're talking about paying people for killing other people. And they're not going to stop it anytime soon. The PA's Abbas will cling to pay for slay no matter what, despite the financial toll it's taken on the PA. It provides generous monthly subsidies worth several times the average Palestinian wage to imprison terrorists and to the families of those killed while committing their acts of terrorism. In this way, the pay-for-slave program rewards past and incentivizes future terrorism. But there have been severe costs to the Palestinian Authority as a result of this program. First, the Israeli government has been refusing to transfer to the PA part of the tax revenues it collects for the PA, the amount withheld equaling the amount that the PA spends on pay for slay. This currently amounts to about $300 million a year. Second, the Taylor Force Act, passed by Congress in 2018, requires the U.S. to withhold all economic aid to the PA as long as it continues with its pay-for-slave program. While the Trump administration complied with the act, the Biden administration, no surprise here, has refused to do so, insisting that there is an exception for humanitarian aid, which is what it claims is the only kind of aid it provides the Palestinian Authority. There is no such exception in Taylor Force. That's just the truth. But, you know, don't, don't confuse this administration with the truth because they're just not interested. Third, some previous donors to the PA have decided to cut all aid to the PA as long as the pay for slave program continues. Donor aid has, in fact, decreased by 90% in the last four years. More on the PA's insistence on holding on to pay for slay can be found in numerous sources. Maurice Hirsch in the Palestinian Media Watch writes about PA defies the world to continue terror reward programs and payments, while the PA continues to hide its finances from the international community. A recent statement by Prime Minister Muhammad Shataya again demonstrates the clear effectiveness of Israel's anti-pay-for-slay law and the pressure being put on the PA by the international community. The PA government recently approved its 2023 budget. Presenting the budget to the cabinet, Shtavaya explained that the budget included a deficit of a U.S. $610 million, while acknowledging that the PA's terror reward payments are causing financial damage to the Palestinian Authority, Shataya clarified that the PA has no intention to abolish the payments. He said, the Israeli monetary deductions and the decrease in the number of donors are meant to pressure us and subdue us, but everyone knows that we will not trade in policy for money. And what is important is that we rely on each other and understand the reality we live in. 
The Israeli monetary deductions Staya complained about refer to deductions made pursuant to Israel's anti-pay-for-slay law. The law, passed in 2018 with the assistance of Palestinian Media Watch, provides that Israel must deduct from the taxes it collects and transfers to the PA the sum the PA spent in the previous year paying salaries to imprisoned and released terrorists and allowances to the wounded terrorists and the families of dead terrorists, cumulatively known as the PA's pay-for-slay policy. Since the law was first implemented in February of 2019, Israel has made the decisions to deduct two I think it's billion four hundred and seventy nine million shekels, a sum equivalent to the pay for slay payments in twenty eighteen through twenty twenty two. And as at the end of march twenty twenty three, Israel had actually deducted two billion shekels and the remainder will be deducted during the rest of twenty twenty three. According to the law, the sums deducted are frozen and held to such a time when the PA abolishes its policy. Anybody believe that's going to ever happen? I know I don't. But again, I'll remind you once and again, always, people hate each other, but everybody hates the Jews. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.